Well, here we are. It has been uh, what seems like a long time in some ways and a short time in others since I stood here a little over a month ago. It has been a good month for us, a month of transition. There were moments of goodbyes and moments of tears. There were moments of a little bit of relaxation. There were moments of packing and stress, uh, moments when you decisions that had to be made and transferring that had to be done. There have been moments of separation for us as a family. In fact, my wife and uh, Susan and our oldest son, Eli, are both here, but our youngest, Luke, is not. He'll be joining us tomorrow. We're actually not in a place yet. We're moving into an apartment tomorrow, but we're here. And it's been a good month. And as the month has drawn to a close, as we've come closer and closer to this day, our excitement has grown. Yesterday morning we were here for a little bit of upward soccer in the morning and Eli was kind of running around in the Family Life Center. I know this is hard to believe, but he's a four-year-old and he likes to run around a little bit. Uh, And he was running around a little bit in the Family Life Center and quickly struck up a friendship with a a second grader, and I don't know his name, I don't know if Eli knows his name, but they were playing, having a good time, and I just walked over to see how everything was going, and he said to me, uh, I I was just telling him about us, I said, okay, and so we turned to the little boy, and Eli just said, we just moved to Goodlettsville, and we don't go to our old church anymore, we go to this church, where do you go to church? And I thought, my son's being an evangelist at four. That's good. He's inviting people to come. There seems to be some excitement in the community. I was transferring some stuff the other day, insurance, and was sitting with a lady and talking with her. And uh, she was asking why we were moving. And I said, well, I'm the new pastor over at First Baptist Goodlettsville. And she is looking for a church home and was talking with her. And she said, she, she, we went through the conversation. And then she just kind of looked at me about halfway through and said, wait, wait a minute. You're the pastor at First Baptist Goodlettsville. I said, yes. She said, wow, you're young. I said, yeah. <laughs> People ask me if that bothers me, and I say, no, not really, because first of all, it's true. Second of all, there will be a day when they won't say that about me. And so as long as they're saying it, I'm okay. Uh, so it's a good excitement that's here. We are really excited about what God's going to do in this place. The anticipation for us has been growing and building, and we know that we're on the verge of some great things. Now, before I really get into the message this morning, I want to give you just a couple of things about me and preaching, okay? Just to let you kind of know where I'm coming from, let you understand where you are, and so that we can all be on the same page from the beginning. First of all, I walk a lot while I preach. I don't get much time to exercise during the week, and so I figure I might as well get it in here. I'm going to walk a lot, and a lot of times I walk right up to the edge of places, like here. I've preached close to a thousand times as I figured it, somewhere around there, maybe more, maybe less. I have yet to fall, so don't get too concerned out there. If I start to tumble, if someone would catch, that would be good. I, I ask questions, and many times when I ask questions, I'm not just asking questions for you to sit there and go, wow, that's a good question. I like for feedback to happen. And so if I ask a question and you know the answer and you want to say it, it doesn't bother me at all for you to talk, all right? You just talk back to me, I'll talk back to you. If that's out of line, I'll say, stop that, don't do that anymore, and we'll be all right. 
Also, I want you to write some things down. Now, each week you're going to have a handout that you're going to write into. This week, uh, I noticed as I came in, uh, most of you didn't get them. And that's okay. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Okay? In your program somewhere, I'm going to ask you to just write down the notes. Here's a little tip. Whatever's on the screen is probably good to write down. At least that's what I think. Write that down. As you leave today, pick up a handout. They're on the tables out here. Take it home. Fill it out. All the handouts will look very similar going forward. It'll be a good way to keep some things. The reason I, I told you this last time, the reason I have people write things down is simply because if you don't, you forget it. If you don't write it down, it's gone. So I'm going to ask you to write some things down. This morning, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about building God's way. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Zechariah. If you don't know where Zechariah is, it is the next to last book in the Old Testament. If you can find Matthew, just take a left and go a couple of books over. It's a book of a prophet and the minor prophets, a book of the Bible towards the end of the Old Testament where the prophet is talking about listening for God's direction in a very difficult time. When I was here a month ago, what we talked about is that we were going to we were going to prepare ourselves for liftoff. And it's like that today, as we've prepared for liftoff, as we've been building towards that, we've come to today and here we are. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is to make sure before we really get going, I want to make sure that we understand what direction we're going. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to unveil to you what I see as our purpose as a church and as ministry and personally. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what I believe is essential to being a follower of Christ and being someone who speaks openly about who Jesus is. Now, this morning is going to be kind of a warm-up message for the entire series, but next week we're going to really dive into it. If you will, today is kind of like making sure before we move forward that we have some things kind of settled. And we're going to learn this from the book of Zechariah. Now, before we even go to Zechariah chapter 4, we'll be reading. I want you to notice something about Zechariah's name. Names are important sometimes, and sometimes they're not. When we were naming our first son, Eli, we were very specific about what we were going to name him. We looked through books. There are websites now. There are thousands of names with meanings. And we wanted something very specific to name him. And so we looked through all of that stuff. And I, I will be able to get into this story more in detail as the, as the weeks and the years go on. But Eli was a miracle of God. Both of our children are. Doctors told us that we would never have our own children. And so Eli really is a miracle from God, and we wanted something in his name to reflect that. We wanted something from our family's name so that we would have a bit of our family tradition in there. Both of our boys' middle name comes directly from family names. And so as we look through all of the names, we named him Elijah as his name. We call him Eli. And Elijah means the Lord is my God. And we're very intentional in naming him that. Sometimes names mean a lot. Sometimes they don't. My name is Lyle. It means from the island. I was born in Dyersburg, Tennessee. All right? That's about as far away from an island as you can get, unless you're talking about a sandbar in the Mississippi River. I'm not from the island. I think, now there's a dispute in my family about this. My mom apparently liked a guy named Lyle Wagner. Any of y'all remember Lyle Wagner, actor? All right. 
My dad claims that's where the name comes from. Mom says she just heard it and liked it. There's a dispute there. It doesn't mean anything. Zechariah's name means something. Here's what his name means. It means the Lord remembers. Now here's why that's important. Zechariah lived in a very difficult time. I'm not going to go through the whole history of Israel, but just be know that in about 586 B.C., before Christ was born, armies came through and wiped out the city of Jerusalem, tore it to the ground. About 50 years later, some refugees came back from Babylon and they tried to begin to rebuild, but they didn't get very far. And you come to Zechariah, who 65 to 66 years later walks into the city and in the city is still just piles of rubble. Two days from now is September 11th. That name means a lot more now than it did seven years ago, doesn't it? major event in our history happened on September the 11th, 2001. I'd been a pastor for a month when that happened, and I will never forget where I was when I saw it. You know what the images in my mind still are from that tragedy? Besides the horrific scene of the planes, what I remember is the destruction that I saw at Ground Zero. Let me just tell you, I don't know if you can imagine this or not, because that was a huge destruction pile. But imagine, if you will, a city laid low like that. That's what Zechariah was dealing with in Jerusalem. A city of debris and rubble. Things piled on top of each other. And it seemed like a futile attempt for these few people to go back and to rebuild the homes and to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple and to rebuild when all they saw was destruction. And in the middle of that, God sends a prophet whose name means the Lord remembers. Now, I don't know if it means anything to you, but if there has ever been a moment in your life when it seems like everything around you is falling into ruin, when it seems like everything around you is falling apart, when you survey the whole of your life and you see destruction at every place, if maybe a marriage has been failing, if perhaps your finances are going bad, if perhaps you've been seeing someone that you love and care about walk through cancer and you can't understand why God won't deliver them, whether it's a loved one that you have prayed for dies and the answer doesn't come that you want and you sit in the middle and you ask the question Lord do you care before we even get going this morning let me tell you that in the midst of whatever rubble or destruction you are in the Lord remembers He knows where you are. He knows where you came from. He knows where you are in relationship to your life and your family and your finances and your job. He knows everything about you. He remembers. And into this rubble and this destruction and all that is there, the Lord sends a prophet named Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4 is really a... uh, in the midst of several visions that come. And if you look at Zechariah chapter 4 and you look at these visions, it's going to seem strange when we read it. We're not going to get into detail about the branches and the oil lamps. I'm not going to go into that today. But what I want us to understand is what he's telling the prophet about how we ought to build. You see, he's going to talk about an eye named Zerubbabel. 
I just want to be real honest with you. There will be times when we will get to Old Testament names, and I don't have a clue how you pronounce them. All right? Somebody in seminary told me, if you don't know how to pronounce it, just say it loud and fast, and they'll think you know what they're talking about. All right? And so just come to it. It's just Zerubbabel. All right? It's not that hard, but it's Zerubbabel. And he was rebuilding the temple. And he started the rebuilding. Some rebuilding had started years before and had failed. And he comes back and he goes to build. And people all around him are going, I don't know why he's even trying to do that. It is of no use. And the Lord gives Zechariah a vision to say, listen, this is how my temple will be built. I want to tell you this morning, we're going to talk primarily about the church. Because here's what I want to talk about. And not claiming that this place is in ruin or it's, uh, I mean, it's obvious. We've got a good group of people here today. The people that I've met have been wonderful. But as we move forward, the question is, how are we going to build going forward? And to be honest, there are going to be people in this community, if this church begins to grow, they're going to say, I don't even know why they're bothering. There are going to be people in this church that if things begin to happen and things begin to change and people begin to come, they'll say, boy, it sure would. we should have just left good enough alone. And the question that I want to ask as we begin to move forward is, how do we find strength and endurance in the midst of this task that is going to be difficult and exhilarating and exciting? Zechariah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. Now most people think that means that he was kind of in the half dream, half awake. Anybody ever experienced that? You know, where you're kind of awake, you're kind of asleep. That's where he is. And he gets a vision from God. And this angel says, what do you see? And he says, I see a solid gold lampstand. With a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right, one on the left. And I asked the question of the angel, What are these, my Lord? And he answered, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, I don't have a clue. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Take this to the guy that's building. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple. His hands will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Here's my conviction this morning and my conviction as your pastor. It's a quote I found and G.K. Chesterton said, and it's why I've even thought about doing this passage this morning, is because I want us to understand that we aren't here just to build any kind of organization or structure or any kind of church. G.K. Chesterton said, We do not want, as the newspapers say, a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. And this morning, the reason that I am standing here, the reason that I'm proclaiming His Word, is because my desire is for us to build His way so that we can move the world. Three things. Three things I want you to see this morning. First of all, if we're going to build for the Lord, we must choose the right builder. 
As we've been looking around and trying to find a place to live, we're going to be in an apartment for a while, but we've been looking at houses and to that moment when we'll be able to find one and settle down. And as we're looking around, you can see new construction going up all over this area. Amen? I mean, if you, don't want, to, if you want to find some new construction, it's not that hard. Anywhere you want to go, look. And one of the things that you notice about that is there are all kinds of builders building houses. And I am sure part of the process of trying to figure out if you were going to build a new house in this place is what builder would I use? And I am sure there are lots of good options. Well, when it comes to building the house of God that God intends for you to live in and work in and worship in and be a part of, there is only one choice. And in Zechariah chapter 4, he gives us two bad choices and one good one. He says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Let me give you two things that we could build this church on that would give it what appeared to be a good building, but would in the end lead to destruction. And the first thing that we could build this church on is might. The first wrong choice in our life that we can have is that we could build this by might. Now, if you look at that and you say, well, might and strength are kind of the same thing. But in the original language, they're not. And this word means groups of people coming together and working as one. And so the idea here is that there are choices that we can make that would make it seem like that we're using powers from around us to build this church. There are lots of bad decisions that it comes to when churches are trying to build things. And you could try to build a church on the might of groups or committees or people that are around or even denominational structures or even thinking that politics was going to be the answer. There are all kinds of things that you can build a church on that won't work. One of the things that I think is... Christians we have done in the last few years is we have really thought that we playing a part in the politics of our day will make a huge difference in our churches. Let me just say, I, I believe in being involved in politics. I believed in voting. I believe in doing the right thing and voting for the right people. But I want to tell you this. As long as the churches of God aren't doing what God calls them to do, it doesn't matter who's in the White House or the State House or the local house. And sometimes we put our trust in men. Well, if we can just elect that person, then everything will be okay. If we can just get that policy through, everything will be okay. That's trusting in might. Another idea about might might be a denominational structure. I'm Southern Baptist to the core. Um, as my grandfather used to see, I was Southern Baptist born. I'm Southern Baptist bred. And when I die, I'll be Southern Baptist dead. I am Southern Baptist to the core. But sometimes churches fall into the category of depending so much on denominational stuff to do things for them that they're not following God. They're following the denomination. And I just want to tell you as a pastor from the very beginning, that's not who I am. God has called us to be the church in Goodlettsville, Tennessee, and we are going to do it the way He calls us to, not the way they say we ought to. Another thing of might is in our own strength. Let me just tell you, as this church begins to grow, as we begin to see people come in, as we see God begin to do things, one of the biggest temptations in the life of a church is to suddenly trust in ourselves. Let me just tell you, it has been a pleasure getting to know the people of this church. I do not know all of your names yet. 
All right? Give me about a week or so, at least. Y'all are learning four. We're learning a couple of more than that. But it's been a joy getting to know you. And there are great people in this church. I mentioned when I was here before the search committee, great group of people. Getting to know Tom and uh, people in the office. It's been a great opportunity this week for me to meet people and see how great they are as people. But let me tell you this. The moment we begin to trust in ourselves is the moment we begin to build in the wrong way. It's not by might. Here's the second thing. It's not by strength. We're not going to build this church by strength. Now, strength is our own strength. The idea here is power. The idea here is individual people. There is no pastor, deacon, committee member, Sunday school teacher that can be built a church on top of. It doesn't matter how much charisma you have, how much knowledge you have. It doesn't matter how good you are. There is nobody that this church ought to be built on top of. Those are the two wrong choices. Then who is the right builder? The Word of God says, not by might, not by strength, but by my Spirit. Say that with me. By my Spirit. That is the only way this church is going to be built effectively. The right choice is God's Spirit. Well, how do we do that? How do we get ready for that? How do we involve that in our lives? It's kind of like asking, how do you catch the wind? On Wednesday nights, we've started a study of the book of Acts. I would encourage you to be here on Wednesday nights. Uh, A little after 6 o'clock, we get going, and we're going to go walk through the book of Acts, see what a church really is. This past Wednesday night, we talked about the group of disciples after Jesus left, and what happens is Jesus says, listen, you've got to wait on my spirit. You've got to be ready for my spirit. And we talked about the things that they did. And in Scripture, what it teaches us is in order to get ready for God's spirit, in order to be ready for Him to move, what you've got to do is you've got to be willing to wait. You've got to be willing to let Him come and to lead you. You've got to be willing to change to whatever He asks you to do, and then that you've got to pray that He'll come. Scripture says that in Acts chapter 1, those people after Jesus left, they went back to the upper room. They waited on God. They allowed themselves to be open to His movement. When He showed up in a way they didn't expect, they altered what they were doing. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. Let me tell you, if we're going to be the church that God calls us to be, we're going to have to be people that don't build this church by strength or by might, but by His Spirit. That means we're going to have to be a people that are willing to wait. That means we're going to have to be a people that are willing to pray. One of my heroes lately is a guy named James. You probably know James. He wrote a book in the Bible. James is Jesus' brother, half-brother. And Scripture tells us that he wrote this book, and he does so much practical stuff. He became a leader of the church in Jerusalem. But one of the things I love about James is his nickname. I said at the beginning, sometimes names mean something, sometimes they don't. James developed a nickname as a leader of the Jerusalem church as Camel Knees. Now, I'm sure that may not be the most flattering nickname you can think of. Anybody here want to be called Camel Knees? I mean, I don't know know what that would look like. Here's the reason they called him Camel Knees. They said his knees were so calloused, they looked dry like the camels. The only way he got those knees calloused was he was on them constantly in prayer. Let me tell you, if we're going to be the church that God's called us to be, myself and many of you 
are going to have to be camel knees. We're going to have to be praying that God is going to move. We're going to have to see His Spirit do something in this place that we can't explain. The first step in building God's way is we must build or choose the right builder. The second thing is we must build the right building. We must build the right building. Now there's all this discussion in here about Zerubbabel. And it says that Zerubbabel is going to be the one that's going to build it. And it says that Zerubbabel has laid the foundation, but he will be the one that completes it. It talks about him bringing the capstone out. Here's what it's talking about there is that there were all kinds of discussions about how they ought to build this temple back. Now, I am sure it is hard for you to believe that in a group of God's people, people that were trying to follow God, that there were differences of opinions. Any of y'all been in a church before? There are differences of opinions, right? And there were all kinds of people saying we ought to build it like this, we ought to build it like that. There are probably four or five different set of blueprints out there. This is how we ought to do it. This is what we ought to do. And God says, listen, I have chosen the man that's going to do it, and he's going to build it the way I want it to. And when he comes out with that first stone, when he comes out with the last stone, people are going to look and say it is the Lord that has built it. Now, there are all kinds of opinions about what we ought to do going forward. You had not told them to me yet. I'm sure some of you aren't going to be bashful and you're going to tell me. Here's my prayer. That as we move forward, we'll build in the right way under the direction of the right builder. Here are three things that I think the church ought to be a part of. First of all, it ought to be consisting of God's people. It ought to be the people of God. Now what I mean by that is that we ought to be a people that are seeking after Him. That means that we are people that have accepted Him as our Savior. That means that we ought to be people that are moving forward, following His direction. It means that we are a people of God. There are lots of good groups out there. There are lots of good social clubs out there. There are lots of good membership places out there. But there is only one place where the requirement to be a part of is to be a person of God. And that is His church. And we're going to be people of God. Here's the second thing. It ought to be a picture of grace. Scripture says that we are a place where we ought to model what Jesus had in His love for us. And so while that means that we are a people of God, it means that when we encounter people that are not yet followers of Him, that we treat them with grace first. This is my desire is that when people come into this place who have never visited here before, that when they walk in they say, now that's a church that loves me. And they're willing to walk with me through it. Remember when Jesus was on the earth and He got in trouble a little bit for walking around with the wrong crowd? If you don't remember that, just go read just about anywhere in the Gospels and it's there. And it says that they come to Him at one point and they say, you are hanging around the wrong people. You need to be with us. And Jesus says, I have not come for the well, but for the sick. It's not the well that need a doctor. We need to make sure that we never lose focus on the fact that this is not about us. We ought to be a people of God. We ought to be a picture of grace in the last place of things. We ought to be a place of worship. 
I'm not going to get fully into that because in a couple of weeks we're going to spend a whole sermon on what worship is. It's more than just singing. It's more than just preaching. It's a lifestyle. But let me just say that we ought to be a place where we worship the Lord. I'm not talking about singing songs and not meaning a word that you're singing. I heard Marvin up here this morning say, some of you don't look like you're happy about singing about Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, and you got the worst look you can imagine on your face. I mean, from where you are inside, you're worshiping. Let me just say this to you. When an outsider comes into a church, they know if it's real or not. They know whether we're putting on a show or whether we mean it. And my prayer is this will be a place where we mean it. We've got to choose the right builder. We've got to build the right building. And here's the last thing. We've got to remember the reason for building. We must build for the right reason. Here's what it says. It says that Zerubbabel's going to lay it. He's going to finish it. And then it says at the end of verse 9, Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Here's what he's saying. When we get through with this and you build this temple, and what I love about God is he says, when it's done, when everything's done, and everybody sees that it's done like I said it was going to be done, then they're going to remember that it was I that did it. Do you realize that sometimes, sometimes God allows crazy stuff to happen so in the end, when it all comes out like he said it would, people say that must be God because too much craziness happened for it not to be. We build realizing that it is God that receives the glory when we're done. My life verse is Isaiah 26a. This is a preview of next week because next week we're going to talk about it in detail. But what Isaiah 26.8 says is, Lord, we show you our trust by obeying your laws. And this is the important thing. And this is the end thing. It says our heart's desire is to glorify your name. Let me just ask you real quickly why you're here this morning. Some of you may be here because, hey, this is what I've done for the last 30, 40, 50 years. I come to church at First Baptist Goodlesville. That's what I do. Some of you may be here for the very first time this morning because you heard they got some young preacher up there and I'm going to go hear him. Some of you may be visiting for a little while and you say, I'm going to see the new direction this pastor's going and maybe this is the place God wants. What's your reason for being here. And let me just tell you this. That if your reason is anything else but to glorify God with your life and to allow Him to receive the glory for what is happening in this place, in your life, in this church, then you need to check your reason. I know there's some hurts out there. And I know sometimes you come because you need those hurts filled. But listen to me. When those hurts get filled, God gets the glory. I know there are some people out there with some real desires to see programs enacted here, with some real desires to see some things happen new and fresh. And let me tell you this, I'm excited about that as well, but it is all for naught if God doesn't receive the glory for what is going to happen. The day that I or anyone else on staff or anyone in this church gets the glory for what God is doing is the day that God will begin to pull His hand off of what is happening. He's the only one that deserves it. 
as we begin to think about what's happening as we move forward. This morning you may be here and you're looking for a place to settle in and a place to say, this is the church I'm going to be a part of. And you've been thinking about it or waiting on it or looking around. And this morning I would just say to you, if God is leading you here, then this morning is a time to say it's time to plant my life. Let me also just say to you this morning if you're here, and maybe your life is in ruin. And you're wondering how you're going to get out of it. You're wondering how you're going to get through it. And you look at all the situation and it seems hopeless. One of my favorite lines in this whole passage that we didn't focus on much today is, he says, if you'll look at it, that mountain that Zerubbabel sees will become a plain. What it means is, when you take your problem to God, what once seemed like a mountain suddenly becomes a molehill. And God's going to bring you out of it. This morning, maybe you're here and you've got some issues in your heart and you just need some time to come and pray about them. You need some moments to come. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And this morning, I would just ask that if the Lord is speaking to your heart in just a moment, that you would come. Maybe you're here and you need to plant your life in this church. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You don't even really know what that means. But this morning, you want to come. Maybe you're here and you are a long-time member of this church and you have been waiting for God to do something in the midst of this church for a long time and you're ready to see it happen. And this morning you just want to come and you want to pray, Lord, let us do it not by strength, not by might, but by Your Spirit. In just a moment we're going to have a time of invitation. My prayer is, that as we have this moment, if the Lord leads, that you would come. Would you bow with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come into this place. Lord, it is an exciting moment. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting day for what you're doing. Lord, we are unbelievably excited about what you have planned in this place, in this ministry, in the lives of the people in this room. But Lord, we want to make sure that before we get out there and get going, that we go under your direction. And this morning as we are here, Lord, I realize there are some people in this room that are hurting. And Lord, while they, they can't even think about what's going to happen at this church because they don't know what's going to happen in their lives. And Lord, they see destruction and rubble all around them and they're wondering how they can rebuild what you're going to do in their lives. Lord, first of all, I pray that they will realize this is a place of grace. And that you are a God who loves them. And that you are a God who remembers. And this morning, Lord, if they need to come, that you will lead them down this aisle, down these places. That they might pray, that they might talk to one of us here at the front. I'll give them the courage to obey. Heavenly Father, there may be some people in this room this morning that have never turned their lives over to You at all. And the death and destruction, the problems that are all around them, Lord, are the result of the fact that they have never 
accepted you as their Savior. Lord, they don't even know what that means. This morning, Lord, give them the courage to come. Lord, there may be some people in this room this morning that say, this is the church where I want to plug in, where I want to plant my life. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you will give them the courage to come. Lord, I pray this morning that you know the hearts of those people in this room that have longed for you to move in a mighty way in this church. And this morning, Lord, they are anxious and they are ready But, Lord, you're calling them to commit their lives anew and afresh, to pray again to you, to begin a life of prayer for this church and your movement. And this morning, Lord, that you're calling them to make that in a public way by coming and praying here at the front. Lord, my prayer is this morning that your will would be done in this place just as it is in heaven. And we will give you the glory for what happens. Lord, speak to the hearts of the people in this room. Make it clear what you want them to do and give them the courage to obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing. I'll be here at the front. There will be a couple others here. If the Lord leads you this morning, would you come?